Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. I've called this including you. Including you. And, and everything we do includes you, but it also includes whoever you is that's in your world that you would say you belong. And so I want this morning to uh, just to bring something out that I believe is very important that, um, that we can look at this morning that I believe can change our lives and help us reach more people for Jesus Christ. Jesus said this. He says, follow me, and I will make you. Make you what? Fishers of men. So the inference is if you're, if you're not fishing for souls and you're not reaching anybody and fishing for men, then you're not really following Jesus. You might think that you are, and you might be going so deep, you know, that you get down below the surface uh, in, in that submarine. But, you know, you can't really fish from a submarine. Uh, I discovered that. I don't, <laughs> I've never been in a submarine other than one that was docked. But uh, I don't think you're going to cast a line out of the sub and catch some fish. To fish, you got to be uh, on the surface, and it's not, you know, re- uh, red October or run silent, run deep that's going to catch fish. It's when you get out there and you cast a line and let the line go deep in the people's hearts, and, and that gospel, that good, good news message will reach people's hearts. And so this morning, I want to talk about how can we build an inclusive uh, uh, culture in a church that tends to be exclusive, and I'm talking about the church world in general. I believe that most people really do want to be included in the things of God. We often assume that they don't, but my, my observation and my experience says otherwise. My experience says that people really are hungry for God, and they are looking. It's just that oftentimes the very agency, if you will, that's supposed to be inclusive and supposed to be helping them find God and encounter God is exclusive. And, uh, and so this morning, we're going to look at a very familiar parable. And uh, often it's called the, the uh, parable, parable of the prodigal son, but I'm going to rename it this, this, uh, this morning, the parable of inclusion, parable of inclusion. Isn't it good to be included in things that uh, that have people that you admire attending and, and people that, uh, that you respect and love. Isn't it good when you're included in something and, you know, friends are going there and people that you admire are going to that? But isn't it bad or isn't it, doesn't it just hurt when everybody else is going but you're not invited? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been uh, on the outer and you think, oh, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, didn't you know? Uh, so-and-so's having a 21st, or uh, they're engaged now, or, you know, there's a party going on, and, and you find out that your friends are going, but you're not going. It's not a really good feeling. Uh, I remember in high school, and I went to high school in America, and yes, it's very much like you see in the movies. We have homecoming king and homecoming queen and homecoming weekend and, uh, you know, homecoming dance. And there's all kinds of stuff that's going on, but it could be one of the cruelest places uh, growing up in America in high school. And there's something that I believe the devil invented, and you may not have ever heard of it before, and uh, if you have, just run from it. It's called the Sadie Hawkins Dance. Sadie Hawkins Dance was uh, a a cartoon years and years ago. I Googled it, and uh, uh, apparently there's a movie made out of it as well. And it's the time when the girls invite the guys to the dance. 
And so it's kind of a, a role shift. Uh, uh, and if you don't get invited to the Sadie Hawkins dance, everybody's going. That's because the girls didn't think you were cute enough or uh, funny enough or whatever, handsome. You, you didn't get invited, and everybody else is invited. But if you're not invited, it's kind of like one of the ultimate rejections. And I didn't get invited. There wasn't any girl that looked at my bowl haircut that my dad used to give me for, for playing up. See, he'd say, okay, come on, you, you messed up. I'm going to cut your hair. And it looked like it looked like the Three Stooges, you know, Larry, Moe, and Curly. Uh, it was bad. And so, you know, shaved up the side, shaved up the back, and a big bowl. Nowadays, I, I think that might it might be cool. I don't know. You know, anything kind of goes today. Uh, but back then, it was definitely not cool. And I had two shirts that literally, uh, from being washed so much, they rotted. Honestly, I'm not making this up. But the, sh the shirts that I had, uh, they, they got rotted. So what did I do? I turned to shoplifting. And uh, I was so skinny, I could pack a whole bunch of clothing and still put a shirt on the outside and walk out. And I'm not advocating that. That's the old Ed in the teenage years. But uh, that's how desperate that I was to just get something cool uh, happening in my life. So if you're here and you're growing up under tyrant parents, believe me, I've got a lot of empathy with you. Uh, uh, you know, it was pretty bad. And I didn't get invited to Sadie Hawkins. So what did I do? I decided I was going to go out with my mates that didn't get invited either to Sadie Hawkins, and we'd just go out and, you know, we would just party by ourselves, and who cares about the girls and the rest of life? So uh, I got asked, uh, who, who invited you to Sadie Hawkins? Because I wanted to go out. I had to pretend that I got invited to Sadie Hawkins' dance. And so uh, I made up a name of a girl that I, I knew in, in class, uh, what I didn't know is that her sister was best friends with my sister. And so, yeah, I got sprung big time. And so it was like, you, you said, didn't you say that you were going out with Sandy or whatever? And it's like, uh, yeah, yeah, we had a really good time. Well, uh, according to your sister Sue and her sister, who's the sister, you know, her best friend who's the sister of, the, of Sandy, you didn't go out with Sandy. You didn't even go to the Sadie Hawkins dance, so you got it. The haircut happened, and uh, I was totally shamed and embarrassed from that one. But everybody else got invited but, but me. And so you wonder, why wasn't I invited, and, and, and doesn't it hurt to be excluded from something? Well, when you think about the things of God, it would be a travesty if we knew that people didn't get invited here because we are some kind of an exclusive club that talks a language that nobody can understand. And again, you know, we only run in submarines that are so deep that nobody else can get in. It's just airtight, locked down, you know, under the pressure of performing and all of that. In Luke 15, uh, and we're going to read through this parable I want you to see this as a parable of inclusion, not exclusion. Even though there is an exclusive part of it, it's not from, uh, certainly from the main character, who I believe is the father in this parable. In verse 11, it says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, 
and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Now, it doesn't go into detail of what that wild living was, but you can make up your own mind on how far this, this, uh, this number two son got with that. But the question is, why did he do this? And I want you to uh, answer that question this morning, maybe a little bit different than maybe the, 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 the typical answer when this teaching is brought forward this morning, but because we're going to look at this from an attitude, if you will, or frame it up from uh, inclusion, not exclusion. So why did he do this? Was he evil? Or I present to you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury this morning, uh, could he have had good intentions? Could he have not just been bored with life. I just want to go somewhere. I want to see the world. You ever been there? I want to travel. I I want to get out. And so verse 14, after he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. His luck has run out. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him in his fields to feed pigs. Now, The fact that he did this shows us something about him. He's not lazy. He's definitely determined. He just made a bad choice. Have you ever made a bad choice? And the devil has given him a payday. See, the devil always gives you a payday. He promises everything, but he delivers nothing. And so, verse 17, when he came to his senses, have you ever done something stupid and then come to your senses? Have you ever thought, what was I thinking? (laughs) I certainly did after the Sadie Hawkins lie. Uh, What was I thinking? How stupid could I have been to think that I was going to get away with that because everybody knows everybody, and and, uh, so my stupidity got me caught. In verse uh, I just want to read something out of Ecclesiastes. It won't come up, but uh, Solomon is doing some soul searching. He says this, So I, I turned my mind to understand and to investigate and to search out wisdom and the scheme of things and to understand, listen, the stupidity of wickedness and the madness of folly. What I've learned in life, not unlike what I believe is this uh, prodigal son, if you will, is that most of us, aren't really wicked. Most people that are excluded from church and the things of God, it's not because of wickedness, although there is wickedness. A lot of it's just folly and it's just stupidity. A lot of times what, what we get caught up in is just, it's just stupid stuff. What was I thinking? I remember once, uh, years and years ago, there, there was a, a cyclone off the coast. And if you're a surfer, I mean a real surfer, not, you know, whitewater surfing. Uh, when there's a cyclone way out there, the, the, the waves get really big and they come crashing into, you know, our shores at, at horrendous heights. Uh, you know, sometimes higher than, than the ceiling in the auditorium here, which is, is a pretty frightening thing. And some of the young guys that really could surf, they, they were going to A-Bay and which is up near uh, Noosa and Tea Tree. And, and, and I thought to myself, I got a board. I, I think I'm going to go join them. The only thing is, I didn't grow up surfing. Uh, I don't know how to surf. I didn't know how to surf back then either. 
And it was probably the most stupid thing that I've ever done in my whole life. Almost cost me my life. And I remember, uh, you know, just how excited everything was. And then everybody started asking me, uh, are you sure you want to do this? And they, they tried to talk me out of it. But not unlike the prodigal here, I, I, I'm pretty determined. And, and I decided, no, I, I can do this. I'm going to do this. I'm in for a bit of adrenaline. I, I, I'm bored, and I want a bit of a rush. I want a, a bit of excitement. And so, you know, I went along with these guys, and I remember, you know, with my uh, Mark Edwards board or whatever it was, Mark R Richards board, that's what it was, a famous old surfer. Somebody gave me this old surfboard. So, you know, I've got the board. I've got, you know, the wax on the board. I kind of look the part, but I'm not the part. And, and those guys, we got out there, and there's like this, uh, these rocks that go out, and you don't have to paddle hard to get out back from where we were going. You just run out there, and, and you just jump in, but you got to kind of jump in be between these sets that are rolling in. And I remember looking at these waves, I'm thinking, man, like this is ridiculous. These things are massive. And, but it was kind of like too late. You're committed now. You, you can't back down now. Like, you're in this thing. You've, you're really in this thing. And so I waited, waited. My heart was just pounding out of my chest. And, and, and we counted, like, seven, seven sets are coming in or something. Then there's this break. And so, you know, I just jumped in with that board, and I just paddled just as hard as I could. And then the, these massive waves kept coming in, and I got separated from my board. I thought, I'm going to die. The rocks are getting closer. These waves were just pounding. And uh, honestly, I, I, I prayed what I thought was going to be my last prayer. But in my head, there was also this voice. And it was going, I can't believe how stupid you are. And I thought, this is going to be my last thoughts kind of going between, you know, here in the pearly gates. And, and maybe Pete, Peter is going to meet me there with a joke. And maybe he's going to say, I can't believe anybody could be that dumb as what you were. You had a whole life ahead of you. And look what you did. How stupid. I, 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 I had this thought, what was I thinking? Have you ever been there? Well, the grace of God got me back by the board actually came and practically hit me. And I grabbed a hold of the board and I, you know, I was able to navigate my way in. And, of course, I'm here right now. But sometimes we just do things because of folly and because of stupidity. In verse 18, and so this guy's thinking about this now. And, and, and he's not, I don't believe it's, it's just because he's wicked. I think he's just done something dumb. And, and he says, uh, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. So he's got this thing in his head. He says, I'll, I'll sit out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against you, against heaven and against you. So he's rehearsing this thing in his head. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he wants to be included. He, he just is trying to work out, how do I get back in after being so stupid? Have you ever been there? If you ever walk with God, and I mean, enjoy the good things that God gives you as a new Christian, and then, you know, we're all just one dumb decision away from throwing it all in. 
just one stupid decision. The phone rings, it's your friends, it's party time, and, and you think, ah, yeah, well, you know, it won't hurt. I'll, I'll just go out for one drink. And one drink turns into two and five and ten or whatever else. The next thing, you're doing something really stupid because you, you lose your judgment. You know, have you ever been there? I certainly have. And so he wants to be included. He's done something stupid. And, and he wants to find his way back into what he was included in before. So the question is, why is it so hard for so many people to find their way into the church of God? Why is it hard? I've concluded this, that probably the number one source of exclusion is shame. And it's, it's unusual because shame is actually the fear of being excluded. And, and yet it's the biggest source of exclusion. So it kind of goes around, you know, chasing its tail. But there are things about me that if, if, if other people knew it, they wouldn't see me worthy of inclusion. You see, shame, it's universal. We all have it. No one wants to talk about it, but we all have it. And it's what excludes us, but it's the fear of being excluded that causes us to be shameful. So what underpins shame? It's what he said, I'm no longer worthy. I, I, I'm not good enough. Well, I like what God does to settle that. It's in Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. It's one of the greatest scriptures. It says, for we, we don't have a high priest talking about Jesus who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Temptation, my friend, is not sin. He was tempted, but he never sinned. And it says, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. And so he knows this. And he's got this confidence because he knows the nature of his father. And so it says in verse 20, he got up and he went to his father. Sometimes you just got to get up and go to God. Get up and go to God and help other people just get up and get over whatever it is and go to God. And But while he was still a long way off, you know, sometimes we're just so far, we think we've, we've, we've extended the distance between us and God so much so that God can't reach us. We're, we're just in the outer limits of the galaxy somewhere. And yet his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And I love this. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. That's the son that's been feeding pigs and rolling around, and he stinks by now, and he's got bad breath, and he's got pig slop all over him, and who knows what else is all over him, the stench of, uh, of all of that. And yet God wraps his arms around him, and he, and he sees him far off, and he goes to him. When I used to live in San Diego, I uh, went across the border. I was painting for a co painting contractor. I used to be an accountant, but... You know, they didn't take me seriously when I left that, so I had to have other jobs. And one of those jobs was to paint uh, mainly units, uh, large apartment complexes in San Diego and the region. San Diego is right on the border with Mexico. 
And there's a place where you could go across there from San Diego, and it was a little bit of a drive uh, throughout the in the country, but uh, there's a place called La Mesa, which means the table. And La Mesa had uh, a mission there. And so my boss, he knew that I was a preacher and I wanted to preach and, and not really that interested in painting, but I had to get by and make some money. And, and he would flip me the keys to his pickup truck and he'd say, Ed, uh, the other guys are going painting today, but Ed, you're going down to preach in the mission at La Mesa. Well, I would just get so excited about going down there. It'd be like, oh, thank goodness. And he would pay me for the whole day uh, of work just to go down and preach at this mission. And so I'd go down there, and uh, I kind of got to know the guys. And my broken Spanish, uh, it's not very good. Uh, wasn't very good, better than then than it is now. But uh, I would go down there, converse, got to know some of the guys, Felipe, Jesus, and Jorge, and, you know, other, other names. And uh, it was an all-men's mission. And one day I went down there, and the guys had brought back a woman. And I'm like, whoa. And they're kind of keeping her hidden. And I'm thinking, uh, you know, what's up with this? And they said, well, we went down to the uh, city tip, the, the dump in Tijuana, and we saw something moving uh, on the dump. And so we walked up. And the, the dump in Tijuana is like, if, if you come within a kilometer of it, you, it just stinks so bad. And people make their living sifting through other people's junk. And I mean, there's junk at our tips here, but nothing like the junk there is, you know, it's real junk because they've sifted through and they've picked out everything that could even remotely you know, be of any value. That's how poor people are. And, and, and they saw something. And so they climbed that mountain of refuge, and they, and they found uh, what they thought was a dead uh, or almost dead uh, body. And it was the shriveled up corpse of a woman. It turned out she had been a prostitute, and she was so eaten up with uh, all these diseases that her, her pimp had, had, had thrown her away and just cast her onto the tip to die. And they thought, they thought they saw it move, but they didn't know what it was. And so they watered, waded through all that, that trash, that garbage, and they, and they got this woman, and, and she smelled so bad that uh, they thought, well, how are we going to get her back to the mission? Because they took the public transport. And, uh, you know, to take her on the public transport the way she was, uh, you know, everybody's going to clear off the bus, but they did. And so they, they, they put her on the bus, and everybody was, you know, almost dry heaving, and, and they, they, they got her back to the mission, which is an all-men's mission. She's not even allowed to be there. And they hid her there. And I happened to show up, uh, you know, not the day, but like the day after that they found this woman. And I remember them uh, nurturing her, thinking, you know, what are we going to do with her? And they're praying over her. We prayed for this woman, and it just looked like she's going to die. She was just a skeleton of a, of a human being. Anyway, I went away, and about a month later, my boss flips me the keys. He said, everybody else is painting. Ed's going down to the mission to preach. And and I got all excited again, and, and I went down to the mission. And, and there's this woman, and she's standing there, and she's got a beautiful blue dress on. I'll never forget it. And I said to the guys, I said, ah, oh, what's with the woman? Uh, is she here? Is she going to teach? Is she delivering something? Because it's an all-men's mission. And they go, no, that's, that's Lupe. I said, well, 
well, who's Lupe? And they said, don't you remember the woman that we got off the tip? You know, the one that was eaten up, that was almost dead, that smelled so bad, and that's her. I, I couldn't believe my eyes. God had totally restored this woman. He brought her back to life, and she was beautiful. And, and long story short, as they started a woman's part of the mission after that, she became the director down there uh, of the woman's uh, mission that they started as, yeah, as a result of that. As a result of that intense inclusion, as a result of them putting their arms around a human being that smelled worse than pigs, as a result of them running to her and reaching her and not judging her as a prostitute and not condemning her and not worried about the stench on the bus. Let everybody get off the bus. Sometimes, church, we got to just let people get off the bus. If they're just going to be religious, let them get off the bus. Because God's got a bus that wants to reach people. He's got a mission, and he wants his church, his living ambassadors for Christ to get out there in this dying world. That's our mission. It's the reason we exist. And so what happened was nothing short of a miracle. They went down there again in, in another you know, st story, and they found another guy on the tip, and uh, this particular guy, and uh, he too was eaten up with uh, all kinds of things, and they did the same thing. They brought him, only this guy that took him straight to the hospital, and the hospital uh, said, uh, well, we can't admit this guy. They said, why not? They said, well, well who is he? And they, and they go, he's the son of the owner of this hospital. And they go, well, what's the owner's name? And they said, Jesus, Jesus. Just so happened that the owner of the hospital's name was Jesus. <laughs> go, oh, well, okay, I guess we better admit the guy. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so that guy, he lost his legs, and, uh, but they led him to the Lord before he passed on into glory. He didn't live, but, you know, he lives eternally right now. Because these same men didn't care about the stench of the world that was on people's lives. You see, our church exists to help disconnected people connect with God and each other. That's the reason, church, that we exist. Connection gives purpose and meaning to our church and our lives. Disconnection seems to be so prevalent. It's, it's as prevalent in the church as it is in society. When you ask people about belonging and, and inclusion, they always will tell you an excruciating experience about exclusion. How, how can we include excluded people? And real quickly, but, you know, these are just some tips that I've learned anyways. Number one, accept them for who they are, not who you want them to be. Uh, if we're taking notes, number one, number two would be be real. Be real. I've learned something. When I go to Bali, I don't buy any watches anymore. Because it might say Cartier on it. It might say Rolex on it. It might say Louis Vuitton or something or whatever, whatever label, but it's not. It's a cheap copy. And the world doesn't need to see another cheap copy of Jesus Christ. They need to see authentic believers, ambassadors for Christ. They need to see the real deal. 
And so we need to be authentic, be real. If you want to reach real people, be real. There's nothing worse than a cheap copy. Number three would be this, be interested in them, what they have to say, even if you don't agree. I have conversations all the time. I, I, I go to the, the gym, and one of the things that I enjoy uh, doing at the gym is, is, you know, just engaging in conversations with, you know, the personal trainers and the managers, and, 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 I, and I listen. I'm not, I'm not listening thinking, okay, you know, get through your spiel because I want to tell you all about my life and what I do and, and everything else. No, listen. Be interested in people. Be interested in people. Have you ever met somebody that you just know wasn't interested in you or what you had to say? And the whole time you're talking, they're not, they're not listening. And at the end of whatever it is that you have to say, they'll, they'll, they'll say something like, they wind up the conversation with something like this. Interesting, interesting. Oh, I got to go. Well, they didn't hear anything that you had to say. Why? Because you didn't matter to them. And, 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 and if people matter to you, then you're interested in people. If people don't matter to you, you're probably not interested. If you're not interested, it's because they don't matter to you. They need to matter to you. They matter to you because they matter to him. They matter to him, and they must matter to you. And if they matter to you, you must be interested in them and be real in their lives. That's just the real world, and it's kind of how, how things work in the, in the real world. And so, uh, you know, people can tell if you're really interested. Allow yourself to be seen, really seen. Now, herein, I believe, is one of the greatest keys to including people that really do want to be included and not seeing people on the outer and excluded and that's being vulnerable. Being really seen for who you really are is to love somebody, and to love is to be vulnerable. See, most of us hate vulnerability. We would rather be into pretense. How are you? God, great. Yeah, everything's fine. Everything's good. Yeah, absolutely. What makes you beautiful is what makes you vulnerable. Or let me put it this way, what makes you vulnerable makes you beautiful. See, it's not comfort, it's, it, it, and it isn't weakness to be vulnerable. It's your willingness to say, I love you first, even if there's no guarantee you're going to love me back. Yeah. Guys, have you ever asked a girl out, and you kind of, oh, no, maybe she's not going to go out with me. But you take the big leap of love, the big, you know, that big step. <clears throat> yeah, it's me. <clears throat> I was just, I was just, <clears throat> yeah, what are you doing? What are you up to? Not much. Well, would you like to go out? <clears throat> coffee, coffee, dinner, coffee. You know what it's like. And if you're into the Sadie Hawkins dance girls, you got to ask the guy out. It's probably your turn to be uh, risking it all. It's, it's your willingness to do something where there's no guarantee. That's what it means to be vulnerable, willing to invest in a relationship that might not work out. And, and, 
And, and at the core of this whole thing is this shame or the fear of the FOMO, really, FOMO, fear of missing out. It's, it's just that I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know where this is going to go. I don't know if I'm going to get accepted. I might get excluded. But God's called us to be people that love first because he first loved the world. It's the core and the struggle that we have when we know we're not worthy. We think, I'm not worthy. Yet God has called you worthy. So verse 21, the son says to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. This is what he rehearsed. Now he's delivering this now. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Oh, how wrong you are. But the father said to his servants, and I love this bit, quick. What was he doing? Quick. His son gets the, the words out. Father, I, I, I've sinned. I, I'm not worthy. Quick. Do you see, your heavenly father doesn't want you standing there in shame. Not one second longer, my friends. God takes no pleasure of you standing there in your unworthiness, in your shame. And so he says, quick. We don't want the shame thing. We're not going to have it. He's my son. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. I oh, love a steak. Let's have a barbecue. Let's have a feast. Let's celebrate. For this, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. In other words, he was excluded. He was on the outer. Now he's included. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Father gives back to his son the one thing that will bring inclusion in the family, and that's a sense of worthiness. Do you know what I love about this is that there's a sound when inclusion takes place. There's, there's a sound when there's exclusion, and it's a, that awkward silence, or it's jeering, or it's just this nasty sound. But when there's inclusion taking place in people's lives, and people feel included in the things of God, there's a sound of celebration. There's a sound of joy when shame is lifted off and they don't have to fear being excluded anymore. There's a sound that just breaks out. And so people become one of us when they feel worthy of being one of us. Meanwhile, uh, the older son, verse 25, was in the field. He comes near the house, and he hears the music and the dancing. And so he called one of his servants and asked them what was going on. Your brother has come. He replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother, who I believe represents the exclusive heart of religion, the right, everything's got to be right. The older brother becomes angry and refuses to go in. So now he's excluded himself. And so his father goes out and pleads with him. What is that? That's vulnerability. That's the, that's the love of the father, the, the, the willingness to be vulnerable. Verse 29, but he answers his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you. See, that's religion. It's all about what I can do. It's, it's all about my track record and my merit. I've been slaving for you. Don't ever slave for God. 
God's not after your slavery. You're not a slave. You're a son or a daughter of the living king. And, and, and never disobeyed your orders. Well, he's lying. Everybody disobeys in some way. But you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends who, when his son of yours, has squandered your property with prostitutes. Now, you know, there's no mention of any prostitutes until now. And that's what religion does. It just blows up the sin. It exaggerates it. Maybe, maybe, maybe the son did get into some of that. I don't know, but, you know, it doesn't say that he did or didn't. But, you know, certain religion, they're going to point the finger and blow this thing up now. It makes things up. And when he comes home from these prostitutes, he comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him? See, what religion does is say, I know you. You're not good enough. You better cover up your shame. You can't, you know, you can't own up to this. And so shame turns into blame. In verse 31, my son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. We had not, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead. He was excluded. He was on the outer. He is alive again. He was lost, and now he was found. So in closing, I'd like the worship team to come up. Where does inclusion come from? Well, I believe this. I believe that inclusion comes from a deep sense of worthiness, that worth or worthiness comes from God. And when God says you're worthy, you're worthy. A deep sense of worthiness or inclusion takes courage. The word courage comes from the Latin word core, C-O-R, which means heart. The original definition is this, to tell the story of who you are with your whole heart. To tell the story, that's why we've got testimonies tonight, and we're having testimonies next Sunday night as well. We're going to hear from some of our Indian community who are Hindus, and now you know they're born again now, and their story matters to God. It matters to us. And so it's to tell the story of who you are with your whole heart. Wholehearted people have a deep sense of worthiness, the courage to tell your story even when you know you're not perfect. It's the compassion to be kind to yourself first and then to others. See, we can't, we can't practice compassion on other people until we receive that compassion from God on ourselves. It's the authenticity of letting go of who you thought you should be in order to be who you are. I just need to be authentic and real. Let myself be seen. That's vulnerable. To love with my whole heart no guarantees is probably the hardest thing that any of us could ever do to believe that you're good enough even when you're not good enough to believe that you're good enough because God is good enough I know I'm enough because he's enough and I can accept that because I'm accepted well I'd like us to for a moment just to bow our, our heads in prayer I believe it's up to every one of us. You are Christ ambassadors to let everybody know that they are included in every way. Everyone is included. No matter who, who they are, no matter who you are, no matter who you aren't, what, what, no matter what you've done, no matter what you haven't done, no matter where you're from, no matter what, you 
are included. You have not seen a human being on this planet that God is not intensely in love with and that God is not included in his plan of reconciliation. The world has already been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, and, and we need to see the world that way in an inclusive way, not excluding them because of their track record, but including them as worthy just as much as Jesus Christ is worthy because it's because of him and nothing to do with us lest any man could boast. So, Father, I just thank you right now. For every one of us, I pray, for a heart of inclusion, that we could tell people you are included. There is nothing, no reason, why you cannot be included in the good things of God of which God has included me, an imperfect person who he's declared worthy because of his son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to the City Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message or God worked through you in any way, then please take a moment to contact us through our website at city-church.net or email us your feedback at info at city-church.net.